Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, and hi, I'm Nikki Blonsky from the movie Hairspray. I'm Ned Baker, and I'm Link. I thought you were going to do your own little drum roll there. Okay, let me take that one more time. <laughs> let me take that. And die. Link. There you go. Have you just had these songs stuck in your head for days or for as long as we've been thinking about doing this episode? Yes, yes, I have. Basically, I was about to say particularly, but it's basically all of them. I mean, without love is like an all-time banger. Yeah, they're all they're all kind of in there. I'm visiting my parents now, so I watched with my mom. I rewatched the movie mm. with my mom. So now I like kind of got my whole family <laughs> roped into just collectively yeah. having these songs stuck in our heads. That can sort of <laughs> compound because you can enter a room not having the song stuck in your head and your mom's going, <laughs> Good morning, Baltimore. Yeah. Every time you come downstairs, someone says, Good morning, Baltimore. This yeah. is my dream, the dream way that I want to live my life. The way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. This right here is the second installment of our Zac Efron Oops All Musicals series. We took our deep, deep, deep dive into his <laughs> breakout role as Troy Bolton in High School Musical. And now we're actually going to look at the movie he released just one month before High School Musical 2. This was the summer of Zac. And this oh, is yeah. his supporting role as Link Larkin in the 2007 big screen movie musical adaptation, Hairspray. Great. <laughs> Great Hairspray. Um, can I tell you yeah, a I'm excited. fact that Please. I found out about? So last week we talked about how High School Musical 2 was the highest, highest viewed Disney Channel original movie and mm-hmm. that it had something like 17 million viewers. Mm-hmm. The thing I found out recently is that the Game of Thrones series finale with both live viewership and the sort of night of streaming reached like 19 million people. So Whoa. pretty comparable, I would that's say. Like, that's like the buzziest show of all time. Right. This is if people are struggling to like understand how big of a deal the High School Musical franchise was, like it was to some extent the Game of Thrones for <laughs> <laughs> like you know preteens in the in the aughts man i i think that like i think sometimes we forget what a big market kids are i mean yeah. i bet if you look at this year's like highest grossing films like minions rise of Gru and you know dc <laughs> league of super pets are probably like major heavy hitters yeah dc league of super pets did flop okay. although i found it funny but i think <laughs> rise you? of Gru is rise of Gru did rise in the box yeah. office i believe and not just because of a very amusing tiktok trend yeah i think it's just like <laughs> the kids are out there and uh clearly in 2007 they were out there watching high school musical too and they were out there watching hairspray i would say one of the more successful movie musicals of sort of the modern era which i consider sort of like the i feel like the moulin rouge one year and then chicago the next was like a real turning yeah. point for the you know the new era of movie musicals that was sort of like throughout the 2000s mm-hmm. And I feel like Hairspray is pretty pretty well regarded of that sort of set of movies. Yeah, when you say successful, are you referring to it in terms of box office numbers or like critical acclaim or just like you think it's a successful, the project succeeds? I think all three. Yeah. To varying degrees, but I do think it made a decent amount of money. I think it was 
like well-regarded critically. I think it's one of those movies that has a really high Rotten Tomatoes score, but no review is like fully glowing. Mm-hmm. It kind of reveals the the flaw of Rotten Tomatoes yes. where you can have a lot of like pos- mixed to positive reviews and it's like, it has a 97% on Rotten yes. Tomatoes. Yes, if everybody says, this is fine. That's yeah. <laughs> you could if everyone says that you've got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it looks like it made over two hundred million at the box office. Mm-hmm. Solid reviews, and I think is generally like pretty well liked. I feel like it was a it was a popular hit at the time. I'll say when I posted on Be Real about half an hour ago uh, that I was. Do you know about Be Real? No, I have no idea what it is. Okay, do you know like at all? I've literally never heard the words. It's, <laughs> I mean, I've heard the words individually, that's, but not together. Uh, it's a, it's a social media platform that buzzes you one time per day, and it buzzes everyone who's using it at that same time. And then you are supposed to take a picture right then of like what you're looking at and a selfie. So, oh, I think so, I've seen these photos. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, there's a meme that has been made out of it on Twitter. So you might have come across that. But it's basically... You know, a lot of times I'm like, here's the dishes that I'm washing in the sink and here's my, you know, sort of like sweaty face. But today I posted one that had Amanda Bynes and Elijah Kelly as uh, Penny and Seaweed. And uh, just from that experience, I'd say like there's some general positive regard in our in our peer group for Hairspray. I feel like it was a popular hit and I'm so glad to hear that the people are <laughs> Still excited to see it. Yeah. Um, or at least excited what is to your... see Amanda Bynes. Yeah. I mean, talk about someone that I feel like you. we really, if you were the right generation, you could really have imprinted on Amanda Bynes. That's as me. like cool, cool comedy gal. Yeah, she really was. I hope she's doing okay. I know she had a rough time. I think she had a rough time and I think now she's doing better. I think it actually is a story with a, a positive upswing lately love to hear that so shout out to amanda shout out amanda we love you ned i want to start here because again as with high school musical i feel like there are so many like directions i want to (laughs) go in this conversation all at once absolutely but walk me through what is your general history with hairspray as a as a an entity that exists in the world i had a peripheral awareness of it as a general like musical theater fan by which i mean that through middle and high school, I would see musical theater. I could see I would see theater whenever I could, but you know, I wasn't, you know, jetting off to Broadway every two weeks. Um, so mostly what I did was rent soundtracks from the mm-hmm. public library and listen to them on my CD Walkman. Uh, and that's how I came to, you know, become familiar with all of my favorite musicals. This Cute. is not one that I listened to, as I recall, although I would also sometimes you'd pick up a little like Broadway's greatest hits. So there were a number of songs mm-hmm. from it that I could have sung you. My introduction, my first time actually taking it in was seeing the movie in 2007. Mm-hmm. I had a, as I say, like an understanding of some of the conventions of the show. I knew that Harvey Firestein had maybe won a Tony for this role, for the role of Edna Turnblad. Could I'm be. not sure. I'll fact check for um, you. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I remember basically... I remember specifically a friend of mine saying, like, oh, yeah, it's good. Um, not a musically friend. They, they were, he was like, it's funny. There's a scene with Christopher Walken and John Travolta that must have been one of the most, like, fun on-set shoot days ever. Mm. And, yeah, it's cool. And, uh, yeah, I was excited to check it out. Um, as I mentioned, I think I was probably at a time where I saw Zac Efron. I mean, I guess, like, if High School Musical 2 had not even come out, 
I didn't. I, I don't think I must have seen him as much of anything, but it was like, oh, he's a hot guy from a mm-hmm. Disney Channel original movie. Um, and uh, but I I dug him in this, and generally I thought the whole thing was extremely fun. And uh, I did later get to see the Broadway show. I think a year or two later, I got to see it mm-hmm. in New York. All I remember is that it had uh, George Went from Cheers as Edna. Oh, um, fun. Yeah, I don't remember anybody else who was in it, if there was anyone else particularly of notice. But uh, yeah, that was a blast. And I hadn't really watched it since that time. I mean, I've popped the soundtrack on from time to time, but this was my first rewatch since, I want to say, 2007. Cool. Well, I'm excited to hear what you thought of it, because I feel like there's a lot to discuss about how it's staged, how we feel about it now. But I'll share. I did look up. Harvey Firestein did win the Tony. There we go. I believe it was nominated for 13 Tonys and won eight. Wow. That's of them. That's a heavy hitter. Yeah, including Best Musical. So it definitely was like a huge like event. It was the Hamilton of its day <laughs> in in 2002, 2003, um, based okay. on the John Waters movies from the 80s. So mm-hmm. I actually have a very like hairspray is very important in my life and my love of musical mm-hmm. theater it was the first okay. ever musical that i saw on broadway whoa um, we took i know and i found and so i'm at my parents house and i found the playbill from when we went it was march <gasps> 2004 oh because I, uh, I keep every playbill from everything i've ever seen do you including all of our college playbills yeah any Same. <laughs> anyone listening Caroline. that has a stuco playbill is this <laughs> That's what we bonded. I have them all. I think I started in 2005, so you clearly got started before I did. I think that I saw Spamalot and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and was like, I'm going to hold on to these. And then after that, mm-hmm. just obsessive compulsively, I just kept doing it. So yeah. Yep. There's literally a box in my, both in my apartment in Chicago and here in my parents' home that's just labeled playbills. And that's all, everything that the box is. Do your parents <laughs> nudge you every few years to ask if they can throw them out? No, my parents just keep everything. Oh, we're all hoarders, sweet. I think. Okay, great. You're all on the same page. But I think <laughs> we're all enabling each other. Mine asked for a while, but I think now they're basically like, whatever, he's attached to them. Let him have his <laughs> let him have his little playbills. Well, it's really fun because you like I opened up that playbill from from March two thousand four, yeah. which still had the little understudy slips in it. And I realized I had no idea at the time because I was just a little 14-year-old, but I saw Shoshana Bean, who's gone on to be like a legendary Broadway star, as the understudy Tracy. Wow. That's crazy. And like, I never would have known that until yesterday. I opened up the playbill and I was like, Shoshana Bean in the role of Tracy (laughs) Turnblad. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Who knows who we saw in Broadway shows like pre-16, like pre-internet when we would have just been like, okay, it's a person. Yeah. So I also saw... um, Harvey Firestein in it. He stayed with the wow. show for like two years. So I think that we we caught him right at the tail end of his run. Like I think he was sort of making my dad's memory was that it was literally his last performance. I was sort of remembering it as like maybe a last chunk of performances, mm-hmm. but he was still sort of doing acknowledgments. Yeah. Uh you know, in the evening performances. Uh and yeah, this was like huge for me. I was already into musicals, and as we discussed on our Anastasia episode, I was really into all the Disney you know, animated mm-hmm. movies that function as musicals. But I think seeing Hairspray really got me into like Broadway specifically as a thing. Yeah. And sort of keeping track of the Broadway performers and the Tony Awards and and just the whole industry of that specifically was like a huge turning point for me. Like I think we 
bought the you know the cast recording at the little totally. place out in the box office for and, like, thirty five dollars or something. Yeah, probably for a CD. Yeah. So we, I mean, we wore, I wore this CD out, the Hairspray CD. I'm the opposite of you. Like, I could probably still sing every word from the show. Mm -hmm. And I think I was, when the movie came out, because I had such strong attachment to the source material, I remember really liking it, but also... As I frequently feel with adaptations being like, well, yes. but, you know, Why the original did, they did this, this better. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. I had quite a lot of those little things, which I, I still have a bit of. Um, but I did mostly, like, really enjoy it. I do think we owned the DVD mostly because I remember my sister and I, they had some special feature where you could learn the Lady's Choice choreography. I remember that, and actually. We definitely, this will come up again later in the Zach series, mm-hmm. but my sister Katie and I definitely just like spent an afternoon trying to learn the ladies' choice choreography, which is very difficult. Movie musical choreography yeah, is not easy to learn. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Um, Yeah, that's, uh, I had some friends in college who I remember were like learning the ladies' choice choreography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad this is just a, an activity that we know multiple people participated in. Hey, those DVD features, they were, those were, there was hours of entertainment on there. Yeah, truly. I was trying to find some of them on YouTube to watch for this and like, they can be hard to, they've kind of become lost, I think. Invest in physical media, people. <laughs> yeah. My last then connection to Hairspray is that I reviewed Hairspray Live when that happened on NBC mm-hmm. in 2016, which I actually then rewatched for this. I kind of went on a little Hairspray rabbit hole for this, but my my main memory of Hairspray Live at the time was that it was like one month after the 2016 election. Oh, wow. And every review I wrote at that time was like, well, everything's falling apart, but... um. You know, I guess Ariana Grande was good. Like, <laughs> it just felt like such an insane time. Rewatching it yesterday, I was like, "Oh, this is actually really charming and good." So I was glad that I I revisited that. Who was Ariana to, like, Grande? She's Penny Pingleton. Wow, that's an yeah. interesting. Kristen Chenoweth as Velma, Dove Cameron as Amber, an- another Disney Channel star as Link, who I think was like a generation or two after Zach. Mm-hmm. And I think really man. proves how special Zach was. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a performance of the caliber of yeah. which Zach Efron gives. Uh, who else is... Uh, Harvey Firestein is in Hairspray Live. Okay. Martin Short is Wilbur. Oh, that's cute. Uh, Jennifer Hudson is is Motormouth Maybell. This reminds me, I totally spaced. I saw an amazing production of Hairspray at Oregon Shakespeare Festival when was that? Must have been right before the pandemic, probably 2019, that our friend Royer Bacchus was in. Cool. And yeah, that ruled. I just remembered it because I remember the guy who played Link was like, so fucking funny. Jonathan Luke Stevens, I think his name was, who had, I'd seen him the previous year in this sort of like very queer production of Oklahoma where he played Edo Andy. So mm, yeah. fun. anyway, that's, that's maybe too rabbit holy, but uh, the OSF 2019 Hairspray was awesome. Yeah, that one, that rocked. Shout out to them. It is really fun, I think, to watch different versions of the same material Mm -hmm. and just see how differently it can be interpreted. I went, so (laughs) just cards on the table for what my Hairspray Week has been like, totally just of my own enjoyment of this material, um, honestly. So I watched the 2007 movie. Mm -hmm. Then I watched the 1988 John Waters movie, which I had actually never seen. Mm -hmm. Then I watched a bootleg of the Broadway (laughs) 
show mm-hmm. and then i watched hairspray live then i rewatched hairspray 2007 because i was like it's been so long i've forgotten what happens it's in that buried under itself. four other hairsprays i need to yeah and then i just went on a rabbit hole of seeing how different pennies perform the now i've tasted chocolate and i'm never going back <laughs> line which is great there are some amazing like comedy instincts out there yeah. that these pennies are delivering and each one was equally delightful yeah that's a great that's a great role that uh for 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 actors to spread their wings in their or sink their weird comedic teeth into with Amanda Bynes, I, I think absolutely stepping up to the plate. Yeah, I was gonna like save this for later, but Penny Pingleton might be my single favorite musical theater <laughs> role. Wow, I'm I am obsessed with the character. I think she's so funny. The sort of high strung, horny nerd <laughs> weirdo, like. S- self-appointed supporting character in someone else's life who then just like explodes is so funny to me i can't believe i'm here watching you audition (laughs) particularly on stage like the pennies you can you can really push the comedy to absurdism yes played originally by carrie butler who i love oh so i'm just a huge penny pingleton fan beyond Thinking that Amanda Bynes <laughs> held up his penny. What was it like revisiting Hairspray now? How'd you feel about it today? You know, I would say that I was loving it. Although I, did you feel, do you have the experience that like some of the air goes out of it in the second half? Mm, I think there are moments where the air goes out of it throughout. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is just like, I feel like I say this about every other movie. I was like, it started so strong and then it lost me partway through. And it may have something to do with my own, you know, millennial uh social media riddled attention span um (laughs) i say that mostly sarcastically but you know the first half hour i was like my god this shit slaps so much Mm -hmm. everyone is doing so good and i'll tell you what i definitely thought all the way through is like that thing is cast so well and basically everyone is great and i'm happy one thousand percent everyone who's in it with maybe one exception but we'll get into it okay oh i can't wait to hear what that is i can't wait to hear um but i just think like yeah every time someone steps up for their own song i'm like oh i'm so glad they're in this movie uh so so yeah um that was really true although i feel like plot wise like it slightly loses the thread as it goes along i'm just a little like what okay what is this what is this about? What are we doing here? Why is yeah, this? Which could also be because of some adaptation choices it makes, which mm-hmm. we can get more in the weeds with later. Yeah, but I do think to. that there is, they reorder some things in a way that maybe doesn't fully serve the momentum. Yeah. Classic movie musical problem. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And I think um, staging wise, it's, it's gangbusters. It's, is that what I mean? It's a weird way of putting that. It's just, I think the staging is great. And it just made me think, about that we were talking last week about what happens when you get that director choreographer combo they mm-hmm. can just do things they just you know camera and dancer are working in synchronicity in a cool way that you can't always mm. get so yeah interesting i might actually disagree interesting I feel like we don't often disagree on this show no. so this is fun uh-huh okay one thing i want to acknowledge please I think I'm running into a similar problem as I did in our Meg Ryan series, where we started with When Harry Met Sally, which was so good that it did feel difficult for other things to compare. 
And you think- I did not expect yeah. this to be the problem of the High School Musical <laughs> franchise, but honestly, revisiting those movies and specifically revisiting what Kenny Ortega does as a director of those mm-hmm. films, I do think slightly ruined me for other movie musicals <laughs> because my main response to- I Part of the reason I wanted to like- just really immerse myself in hairspray. I was like, I need to get High School Musical out of my mind because to do all a, I'm doing is this. I was like, well, bet on it did this better. <laughs> you know, the prom scene in High School Musical 3 did this better. I think you are right about that. And I will just tell you right now, I did watch High School Musical 3. <gasps> and oh my God. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't want to derail us. But High School Musical 3 was amazing. Isn't the staging unbelievable so good okay and high school musical Uh 3 costs 11 million dollars and hairspray costs 75 million dollars and i was like and granted a lot of the hairspray thing is probably whatever bazillions of dollars they paid john travolta like it's not all going into the production values but what kenny ortega does on an 11 million dollar disney channel budget versus what Hairspray does with seven times the budget. Like, it is not even in the same league. Well, that's the genius of being like, so Ryan and Sharpay are in the same, like, lunchroom that we've shot in in the first one, and they're going to go to this sort of fantasy Broadway world, but it will actually still be the lunchroom. It will just use lights and, like, set accents to transform it. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. We can't Maybe really, we need to... Yeah, what do we need, what do we say, need to do? I was going to say, maybe through... Through the rest of this, this series, we just need you to share a High School Musical 3 hot take, like, to... <laughs> Uh, that this st- next week's episode and the week after the staging of I Want It All is like really brilliant use of space, particularly like a space that we, as the viewers of the franchise, have become familiar with. Um, as Our well as like cafeteria, great like Broadway vocabulary, like the rotating set that they kind of walk through. That's so cool. So that's cool. when it really so simple and like you know a classical. Like I just feel like he's quoting all these other movie musicals, yeah. like like you know, like on the town decades of vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And just like to great effect, so yes. But anyway, hairspray. I think hairspray's got some cool, got some good staging. Maybe I'm just like, maybe I was just hyped up about certain parts of it. My overall, what I sort of like landed on with the 2007 hairspray. Yeah, I think the costuming's amazing, and there's no undervaluing how much that is just like adding to the visuals of it all. Totally. I think the source material of Hairspray is so good that even the very worst production of Hairspray in the world is still going to be enjoyable. Kind of fun, as long as they like can perform it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can, you know, that will take you far. I totally agree with what you said earlier that this is one of the most impeccably cast movie musicals ever. Like, I think the casting is so spot on. Yes. For me, what I think is missing is the direction. Mm. I think that... There are fun ideas. This is Adam Shankman, who has just had a fa- has had a fascinating, like, very random career. He did The Wedding Planner, A Walk to Remember, Bringing Down the House, bit of a swerve, but where he met Queen is Latifah. That I Queen guess. Latifah and Steve Martin. Oh, he, she she's got you straight tripping, boo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's coming back to me now. I would not. I would be hesitant to revisit bringing down the house. We would be if we. I do want to do a Queen Latifah series. I don't know how you and I would be the people to discuss the cultural retrospective of bringing down the house. Uh, Shankman also did the Pacifier. Vin Diesel. Uh, I saw that classic. How was it? Okay, well, you know what? It's got a little movie musical subplot in it. <gasps> Doesn't surprise me. Where, and this was like so. There's like a there's like a moody teenage son who's like. 
been dodgy about who he's been hanging out with at school. And then the principal, no, it's not the principal. Some Maybe it's another kid in the family. Is like, I found this in his locker and it's a fucking swastika armband and Whoa. he's bleached his hair. And I was like, oh my God, is this, are they doing like a neo-Nazi thing? And so, so Vin Diesel, who's like a secret agent who's become a babysitter for some reason, Naturally. follows the kid and the kid is playing Rolf in The Sound of Music. Wow. <laughs> That is some edgy comedy from Adam Shankman. I think so too. Yeah, I just that stuck with me. The rest of the movie, is I mean, I understand why it would. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, are they going there? And they they swerved uh, me well. Shankman also directed Cheaper by the Dozen two, mm, the Adam Sandler movie Bedtime Stories, the What the Hell Is It movie musical Rock of Ages. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's a trip. Have you? <laughs> no wild tom cruise performance one day maybe we'll do a rock of ages special yeah when we just slowly like without explanation make this just a musical podcast no colon yeah either that or we do a juliana huff series okay you'll have to (laughs) tell me more uh shankman also did what what men want the taraji p henson what women want remake and then Mm -hmm. is upcoming directed the enchanted sequel disenchanted which I'll be very curious to see. I would be more curious to see it if anyone but Adam Shankman were directing it. I just feel like with all of his movies, there is a certain plasticity that that toes the line between enjoyable glossiness, but then crosses over a little too much into into just plasticness. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually think Hairspray is probably of of his movies that I've seen, which is quite a few of them. I think Hairspray is by far the most successful. And again, mm-hmm. I still think it's one of the more successful movie musicals of the aughts. I just think that there is that like 20% of it that's off or that feels like it isn't reaching its pinnacle. It's not like building in the way you want it to kind of like mm-hmm. what you were talking about. And it, there's yeah. like a little bit of that that's stopping me from just fully loving Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the maybe maybe what I'm really responding to is just like the music and the performance of the music because it's like like when you're in like run until that, you're like, man, this this fucking rocks. I love I'm having a blast. Which might be the I'm, best number I'm amped too. Up. It's really good. That's so a total good. showstopper and that's like it's just like I think it's just per, like Elijah Kelly just like performs the the pants off of it. It's um, crazy. Talk about people that should have had ensemble. a massive career after this. Yeah. So yeah, that good. guy should have taken off. What Absolutely. else did he do? The main thing I know him as doing after this was he did the he was in the Wiz Live. Oh, I saw that. He did, he hit the dab in that. And again, <laughs> um, again, absolutely so good in that. And I was like, why yeah. has he not been doing a million things? I mean, with him and with Nikki Blonsky, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this a little last week, but like the way that. Zach Efron as a young star, as a young white male star, is elevated to this whole world mm-hmm. of Hollywood. And then the yeah. way people like Elijah Kelly, you know, a black, a young black man, and Nikki Blonsky, like a plus size woman, young woman, are not elevated in that same way. Yeah. Even though they are, you know, more talented, frankly, like is quite. It's quite telling, I think, of how Hollywood works. Like, where they're like, okay, we can slot you into Hairspray, you fit well there, and then we have nothing else to give you, and we have no interest in building things around you. So, like, good luck out there. Ah, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a bummer, because they're both really talented in this. Nikki Blonsky, like, she's, like, so infectious from frame one in this, you know? She just has that, I mean, she has, I think, what Ricky Lake had in the original Mm -hmm. one, It's like, 
this she's just she's just like beaming and and just like like literally just like pumping energy out into the movie she is so good she was she had this kind of like story that i don't know i feel like they like to sell this a lot when they discover a newcomer but like a total unknown they did a mass casting call Mm -hmm. you know search across the country they discovered her they they filmed they were told her they were gonna follow her in her day at the ice cream shop where she worked as like uh we're following the you know the final contestants but actually then they surprise her and tell her she has the role like a whole Oh, that's cute. Really packaging her as the whole, as the new thing. And I think deservedly so. She's so freaking good. She also, this was something that watching Hairspray Live made me really appreciate because the Tracy and that Maddie Balio, I think, is like a gorgeous musical theater performer, like one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard, but has Mm -hmm. this real like ingenue Disney princess sweetness which is lovely to watch and I think would fit so many different roles. But like, to me, I want Tracy to be kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. want Tracy to just be Ernest Ingenue. I also want her to be a little bit of a weirdo. And yeah. watching someone that was so good, but like in a slightly different energy, I was like, oh, Nikki Blonsky really was like the perfect choice for this. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on about something that like really works about her. I mean, it's like, she looks at the world and is like, totally good. But also it's this little, you know, freak kind of in a, in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, she's like excited that the rats are dancing at her feet. Yeah. So I also watched the the eighty eight hairspray and like it's kind that's kind of a hard movie to to package or or explain, but it mm-hmm. really is more even more about like it's about like freaks, misfits, and social <laughs> yeah. outcasts just being like we demand a place center stage. And there's this whole thing about like Amber keeps saying that she like has bugs in her hair and then she yeah. like comes out at the end wearing this like cockroach themed <laughs> dress which is where i feel like you get that like john waters grossness sure. to it which it is after watching that like hard to miss that glossiness that you talked about in this one where like it's still you know it's it's nominally about that thing and it's it's got i think some like at least 2007 era like progressive bona fides to mm-hmm. it um but it isn't uh it doesn't feel like like um, countercultural in that same like nasty way. That's that, a very know. good way to put it. It doesn't feel countercultural. It feels no. mainstream. Like hairspray has yeah. become a very mainstream by this point. Mm-hmm. A mainstream yeah. thing. Which I guess is like uh, with all musicals, you either like close countercultural or you live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become <laughs> the mainstream. You know, Rent. You know, being performed yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah, for like sure. That. Yeah, there is. And I think each version um, gets like less campy in a way. Like I think mm-hmm. the, the John Waters version obviously is like camp in its purest sense. And mm-hmm. then I think the onstage version is camp in this very like vaudeville musical theater winking sense. Yeah. And then I think the movie is probably the most earnest and like the most quote unquote grounded version. Yeah. And I sort Indeed. of miss a little bit of the... I mean, I don't, it's hard to, like, how do you translate something that is very winky at the audience, which works so well in a Broadway house where you can literally talk to the audience, yes. you know, into a world that has to feel in some way a little bit grounded. Sometimes those constraints, you know, I was just really struck this time with the staging of the song, I Can Hear the Bells. I think that was a great, that was one that really stuck out to me this time. And I, I didn't, I didn't remember this from having watched it before, but it's an interesting thing where, I'd sort of been picturing that as a much less literal mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I feel like a lot of times on stage, you get this kind of like dreamy, glowy fantasy. Yeah. And they do a really funny thing with this one where Tracy is experiencing her fantasy, but you see the kind of like world. She like wanders through the smoky teacher's lounge and then like she sings at the driver's ed instructor and she talks about the wedding band right at the moment where she's like in band class. I think that was a good moment of the sort of groundedness of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it's a veil, a wedding veil, veil out of like toilet paper. It's like oh, living yeah. within the school. Yes, yes. How she's acting out her fantasies. But they don't ever, they keep the sort of like, I don't know, reality breaking larger than lifeness on a really tight leash mm-hmm. through the whole movie. Which I guess like that is a consistent vision. Like I don't think it's, I don't think it's lazily or sloppily directed, but I think you're right that like, you know, the energy is, some of that energy is like out. Well, it's interesting with that song in particular, because I totally agree the first half of it is really building well and like escalating and, oh, she's just thinking of these things. Oh, she's literally made a veil of toilet paper. It's like getting more absurd. And then it's getting to the place where it should end. It should like heighten more. Mm-hmm. And instead, Shankman just has her like go to a classroom and she's looking out the window at Lincoln Amber and then she just like sits down at her desk and that's the end of the song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you were so close. Like you were 50% there to this being an amazing number. And then the last 50% was nothing and that was when i was like kenny ortega would have <laughs> he would have kept going he would have he would have doubled down you're right and it must have been with the hat that happened i was writing my note on my phone about how i thought <laughs> the uh, driver's ed instructor and the uh the smoky teacher's lounge were funny touches so yeah well again so many things to talk about here do we want to touch on the zach of it all since he is our <laughs> he is our reason for the season yeah the reason for zach season um I'll say for starters, he's in it less than I remember. Same. That was totally my impression, too. He he exits for a long... There's also, like, because I listened to the soundtrack so much after this, I forgot the things, like, It Takes Two is actually, like, not a number in the... Mm-hmm. And, like... Such a bummer. And Lady's Choice is really all about watching Tracy, Tracy like, moving through the... Which he does, he does do well. There's a moment where he's looking at Tracy like, ooh, you're looking yeah, good. And I was like, yeah, Zach, you're selling this. He's good in that in those bits. I, I think in short that he does a really nice work with his bits. I mean, he's young, um, but I think he like, he makes a funny character out of it. Um, it's just a smaller, it's just a less developed character than I remembered, you know? I had this impression that Without Love is like the culmination of you know, this sort of like building for all of them. And actually it's like, oh, that's his re-entry to the movie after being absent for something like 15 to 25 minutes. Yeah. Some of that is, I think, again, like adaptation choices Mm. that are maybe changing where and how Link is used. But I totally agree that, like, I I remembered Zach being a bigger part of this movie because I do think this performance when I first saw it and like, I think this was such a proving ground for like, could Zach do more than High School Musical? Totally. And I think in that lens, this performance was like, oh, my God, he's like doing something that's a real like character performance. But rewatching now, you're like, oh, yeah, that was good. There wasn't like as much of it as I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It really is a supporting character. You know, he's for screen time. He's he's probably like fifth or sixth place. Yeah. Behind. I don't know. A lot of people oh, like certainly behind like Michelle Pfeiffer or which I have you ever seen this movie called New Year's Eve? Uh, it's one of those rom-coms with a million storylines. Yeah, in it. it's like they, yeah. Uh, no, no, I I have not seen it. I'm familiar with that that uh, little subgenre, but no, I haven't seen it. 
So in that movie, I don't think it's explicitly like a full romance, but his whole storyline is with Michelle Pfeiffer. That's fine. She's like a dowdy secretary and he's like the hot young boy and somehow they get, you know, have shenanigans together. And I was like, wow, a hairspray reunion. Dowdy Michelle Pfeiffer. Can't picture it. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's like it's like beginning of uh, Batman Returns. I yeah. was going to say when she's, in, <laughs> when she's got the glasses. Michelle Pfeiffer, hot damn. I am such a big fan of hers. I think she is so wonderful. It's fun to see her in this, I mean, not that she doesn't do over-the-top things plenty of times, but it's fun to see her in this, like, over-the-top movie musical way. You know, when she had her first scene in this, basically through her, like, her first appearance and, like, through Miss Baltimore Crabs, I was, like, she's just mining, like, so much comedy out of, like, every look and gesture. And I do think, like, her performance, she just has less to play around with as it goes along i feel like mm. I, although they even give her like a bonus number but that number i think is not the most effective uh addition i'm not a huge fan of the big blonde and beautiful reprise no. the like Nor seduction I. plot. started and i was like what is this i yeah. don't want to be watching no, this. no <laughs> it's 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 forced in um i don't know like what i i feel like velma in the play or in the stage version Remind me, like, what, what's what's different? Or do you want to just, should we talk about adaptation stuff? Yeah. Do you want to break it down yeah, for let's us? Let's do it. I mean, listen, when do I not want to talk about adaptation stuff is the question. That's, you don't even need to. One of our other particular favorite subjects. <laughs> you don't even need to ask. Um, yeah, so, like, the basics are the same, right? Mm-hmm. You have pleasantly plump Tracy Turnblad going to audition for the Corny Collins show, uh, hooking up with the this group of black kids in Baltimore and they all decide to help integrate the show together and sort of bring the world into the 60s and you know it ends happily like all of that stuff is the same there are a few um numbers that are added for the movie so Lady's Choice was written for the movie Mm -hmm. as Link's big sort of upbeat song replacing the stage show ballot it takes two mm-hmm. personally i think give them both like again we could have used more zach absolutely i mean on the soundtrack this is the thing is like on the soundtrack i you get both those songs and so in my mm-hmm. head i had created like two full zach numbers yeah. that actually we no. we get like the last 20 seconds of it takes two and he sounds good which of course he sounds good he sounds great his <laughs> voice is amazing i mean it's it's not it's not amazing but i think he sounds great he sounds really good. Voice. Actually, okay, you know who sounds so good? Who's that? James Marsden. James Marsden. Talk about someone else who's great. He sounds really Talk good. Talk about a gorgeous voice. Yeah. The other added song is "The New Girl in Town," which they had, which is sung by Amber, and they had actually written for the stage show, but then cut before it went to Broadway mm-hmm. or whatever before tryouts. And then they add the um, the credit song, Come So Far, Got So Far to Go, is a new addition as well. Can I say? Huge fan of that song. Me too. I love that I song. I think that song is great. And I actually think it does a really nice job of like, if you have qualms about is this movie presenting, you know, too much of a simplistic version of history, I actually think that song does a good job of being like, we're just having fun, but it doesn't mean that the work's over. So, yes. you know, don't don't take this too literally. Yes. And I appreciate that. I mean, so importantly, it's not saying we've got far to go, but we've come so far. It's saying we've come so far, mm. but we've got so far to go. It's like yeah. the end notes. And it's got these lyrics that kind of like, you're like, is it the characters then? Or is it the like actors playing the characters singing it now? Because it's got this, Zach has a lyric about like, isn't it fun to look back on the crazy clothes we wore? Um, and to see it's all been done before. It's basically like, 
it's fun to look back at the 60s and remember the integration battle, but we have to remember, like, we actually have a long... It, the sentiment, I completely agree, is such an important, valuable... Like, again, it's it's always like banging your head on the floor, annoying to have these things, but you're like, 15 years later, this would still be like, why are you, like, stirring up controversy? Like, why can't we just, like, live it? You know, it's mm-hmm. it would still be considered, I think, controversial to focus on... There actually is still a tremendous amount of like inequality and racism in the world. You know, there's still a lot of people in the world saying like, why can't we just, you know, be grateful for Dr. Martin Luther King and, you know, right. shut up. So. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of impressed that in 2007, they thought to have a little qualifier at the end. I agree. At all, you I know, agree. like a year before Obama gets elected that anyone was like, well, we should acknowledge that things aren't perfect now. Yes, yes. Which is, which uh, is very good because this movie is about, it's progressive in its way, but it's not like... I don't know. By today's standards, I don't know. You wouldn't give it top marks for every single thing it does. Uh, yeah, and I do speaking. think that's been increasingly like a topic of conversation. Is sort of does this show slash movie fall into this sort of genre of sort of like focusing? You've got like a civil rights story background, but you're ultimately focusing on a white character. Mm-hmm. And that we are sort of like positioning Tracy as the ultimate hero and and in some ways like instigator of a lot of this change, which I think is I totally see and is totally valid. I tend to think that particularly on stage, and I guess in the John Waters original, like there there's that element of camp comedy that I don't know, somehow like undercuts the literalism of it for me that you're not necessarily supposed to be like here's a literal story of how a TV show would integrate. Like, it's very much like, let's take a bunch of underrepresented people and let's, you know, have a drag queen play the mom and let's kind of just do this, like, almost satirical, but really just more comedic, like, riff on the 60s. -hmm. And I think the more literally you present the material, like, the weaker the material Uh feels. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean about that. And I also think the movie makes some questionable (laughs) adaptation choices that I... Okay, so... Spit. There's like there's like songs from the from the stage show that are cut. Great song called "Mama, I'm a Big Girl Now" Mm -hmm. that they do in the credits. Um, There's a there's a number where they all go to jail called "The Big Doll House." Mm -hmm. There's Amber gets a little number called "Cooties." Like nothing like huge that they would cut. But there's some rearranging that they do where in the stage show, act one ends with the big protest where they are trying to integrate the Corny Collins show. The protest is set to the song Big Blonde and Beautiful. Then everybody gets arrested, including Tracy. They all go to jail. Mm-hmm. Wilbur Bear tries to bail everyone out of jail, but the they let everyone out on bail except Tracy is being held without bail. So then she's in jail alone. And in Without Love, Link comes and breaks Tracy out of jail. By like doing like a fiery hairspray thing on the jail cell. (laughs) Again, so it's just a little bit more ridiculous than they would, than they felt they could get away with with this movie. I mean, maybe. And then I think crucially, so we have Tracy sort of at her lowest. She comes back to, to Motormouth Mabel's record shop and is sort of like, I shouldn't have started this all. This is too messy everyone i don't want you guys to get in trouble let's just stop and then you have this big 11 o'clock moment where motormouth mabel sings i know where i've been where it's sort of at least to me feels like her sort of being like okay tracy you started this but like we are now we are now going to take it from here mm-hmm. and like is a moment of centering her and i think mark shaman the the composer of the 
musical even talked about how it was sort of like it's unusual to have an 11 o'clock number that's sung by a supporting character as opposed to like Tracy but they were kind of purposefully doing that to have this big climactic moment in act two where you are really centering the black characters in this sort of civil rights struggle that they're presenting the way the movie does it is that the beginning part's all the same but instead of using Big Blonde and Beautiful as the protest number, that kind of just becomes like a fun group number. It kind of just continues. It comes right after Run Until That and just kind of is like, we're still partying. Yeah. And then instead of I know where I've been being like, we've reached a low point and now we're Motormouth Mabel's lifting us up. Mm-hmm. That just becomes the protest song. And then they do, frankly, truly like a psychotic thing <laughs> where they have them all protest they're all showing up to the protest tracy like has a sign she bops a cop on the head with the sign motormouth is like don't do that like we're not trying to instigate violence here. like you are causing us all trouble then the cops turn against the crew then everyone is arrested except for tracy who just straight up runs away and then you're thinking oh is this some commentary on like a white person starting something and then running away but no it's never dealt with again as a theme she never goes to prison she just is hiding with penny and then we get to the ending. Yeah. That's a little whack. I did sort of have that that thought of them. And I'm like, damn, she just like, she just escalated the situation with the police and then like dipped out of there. Uh, it is so bizarre. T- it is such a bizarre change. I just kind of like me. let it go after that. Because again, I just like, I didn't feel like I was actually like holding on to like a sequence of events there. I couldn't see like how the plot was like moving us along mm-hmm. and moving us towards the finale and- it's the sort of thing where, like, on paper, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You're just kind of flipping the placement of a couple songs. But I actually think really impacts the emotion of it all. Yeah. And it makes it from a case where Tracy is being held the most accountable to Tracy is being held the least accountable. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't seem like what you want the, sh- the point of the show to be. No. No, because I think there's a really good, like... I just remember having this thought when I saw the show at... Oregon Shakespeare in 2019 and thinking like, this is a very interesting show because, you know, it was a weekend and I saw a whole bunch of shows. And I was like, this is kind of interesting structurally because it, it breaks the sort of conventional idea of a hero having to like change. I'm like, Tracy's really good and it's the world that like has to change to like get up mm-hmm. on her level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just never doubt that because she's like, she's so... She just kind of does the right thing at every at every turn. Um, and that, I think, is like the show works that way. I guess it gets a little muddied in here. I guess it's just like when you're in the middle of this movie, like, yeah, it's just a little, it's a little muddy. It's a little like, oh, I'm not quite sure what we're doing here. You also get, again, talk about things I've just thought about for years. Like, mm-hmm. why would you ever, why would you just, why, Adam Frankman, why did why? you do this? Okay, well. On stage- Without Love is a double duet. You have Link breaking Tracy out of jail on one side of the stage. You have Seaweed breaking Penny out of her house on the other side of the stage. It's like two love ballads where, yes. you know, both couples are together. They're like culminating their love. They're kissing like it's great. It's like with the best song ever. Yes. <laughs> I love Without Love so yeah, much. It's an amazing song. In the movie, you have Link alone in Tracy's bedroom sort of singing to himself about how much he loves her. Yeah. And then you have... Tracy as just kind of like a third wheel on Seaweed and Penny's escape. Yes. Why? Ned, why? Why did they do that? <laughs> I, I, 
What? Wait, why would you take this beautiful love moment for Tracy and Link and be like, they should not have that moment? And so I, there's no logical reason for me. And it's just for years, this has felt like the craziest choice that you could do with this material. I think because it's such a bop and it so lives in my head as like a karaoke thing and like a soundtrack number, I kind of have, I just kind of didn't really think about that dynamic you're talking about. But the more you mention it, the more I think about it, I'm like, that is, yeah, that's a, that's a really bad call at like sort of pivotally, probably like the best song in your show. And because then, then instead of having this beautiful like Tracy Link romance number, it's just that all has to come at the very end in the final You Can't Stop the Beat where he just like jumps in to dance with her, mm-hmm. which like granted is a fun moment of him kind of jumping in. But is that worth sacrificing? No. A love duet? No. What were they thinking? I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting because something that I do find amusing about the Tracy Link relationship and it does work in this movie is that it just is like it just feels to me in a way that i enjoy is like it's just more teen horniness it's mm-hmm, in which case sure. i think the casting of zach efron is like genius because the just like total objectification of link uh yeah which i think he plays really well and i think he understands the satire of is just really working um but you're right it it the relationship itself is kind of thin in this just relies on the groundwork they do in the beginning with her wanting to be with him and then i don't know a good the the moment in lady's choice where he's like watching her yes yeah it just seems crazy to me i do think without love is zach's best number though like as weird as it is to have him alone singing to a picture of her i do think he's so funny in that scene yes he is yeah and all his little elvis moves and just the heightened quality of it all yes yeah and the picture effect is good if they're gonna if they're gonna do it that way, you know, having her be like a little singing picture. But just why would you do it that way? It does. Why? It does seem it is. It's Chief Willoughby. Tell us why. Well, like truly, how this come has haunted Chief me. Rewatching this reminded me of how deeply this haunted me for this whole time when the movie came out. Wow. I was like, why? Why? Truly, truly, what? It's just because they didn't want to have Tracy literally go to jail, I guess. But then that's also crazy to not have her go to jail. I don't know why these movie makers do these things. You know, it's the same thing we talked about with Within the Heights. It's like, well, why did you make that change if it just took away this one dynamic? You know, why why restructure it this way? I, I don't know why. It's truly so strange. One change that the movie makes that I think is a really nice one mm-hmm. is that they have little Inez, Seaweed's little sister, win Miss Teenage Hairspray. That is cool. Yeah. Which was an addition for the movie. I think that's a really nice choice. Mm -hmm. And then there's other little things. Like the stage show sort of like redeems um, the Van Tussles, Amber and her mom. Which I think in the like kookiness of a stage show where it just becomes this madcap Shakespearean. Like everyone's coming on stage and having a fun moment like works. But in the groundedness of we've watched these people be horrible racist bigots for two hours. You don't really want to see them redeemed. Yes, I completely I completely agree that you're right. That that is an appropriate theater to film adaptation choice. Mm -hmm. Because those moments of like, you know, the villain comes out to sing the final number. Right. They just work on stage, you know, and and they don't they don't hear. So you're right about that. The other kind of general change, which is less like the, I don't know, the stru- structurally per se, but and this gets into my casting, uh, my one exception mm-hmm. to the good casting. Oh, I'm so curious. Is how they do Edna and John Travolta's portrayal of Edna. So you think John Travolta is really bad? I think it is 
not the right casting choice. Mm-hmm. How, so, okay, just to explain the differences real quick, on stage, I guess Edna has a little less of just like a fully clear cut arc per se, but she's a little more of like a tough working class gal, kind of feels like she's stuck in a rut and like a little bit insecure, but it's not, it's, I think it's more like she's more loving and contented around her family. Mm-hmm. And then John Travolta's, and, and always played by sort of a drag performer based on, you know, that's how John Waters did it with Divine in the original movie, and then Harvey Firestein and, and others have followed. And then in this movie, you have John Travolta, and they kind of reimagine Edna as this like, almost like agoraphobic Mm-hmm. Um, sort of shy person who is like unsatisfied in her marriage and sort of needs to she feels more timid to me mm-hmm. which is that part of it is all fine this time around I was just like I don't think just taking like a straight man with no drag tradition not connected to that art form and just like putting them in drag is the same thing as a drag performer it is it is not just a very straight man, but you're right that, like, that's a very straight impulse to be like, oh, I get it. The whole deal with Edna is it's a dude in a dress. Yeah. So who's a big musical star? And you're right that, like, I'll tell you what I like about mm-hmm. John Travolta's performance, that it isn't, like, a sort of punchy, downy farce about, like, haha, look, I'm, like, a, I'm in a dress. I'm a big weirdo. Mm-hmm. I just think, like, it doesn't punch down at Edna. I think it's she's a sweet – I think he has yeah. this – a sweet take on her and he it's like a very sympathetic character but i do think it's also like it's like not queer at all it's like not mm-hmm. i i mean like yeah i don't i don't know how to like sp- speak on that entirely articulately but like there's no i mean it's funny cuz edna's very like working class like unglam mm-hmm. but there is kind of a glamminess to i think For the sure. sort of like the tradition of how that character is performed that is like tied into drag culture you wouldn't say there's really any drag culture present in john travolta's performance no there's a an academic paper cited on the wikipedia page Mm -hmm. for the hairspray stage musical and i thought this was so well put they said allowing a drag role for edna adds a queerness to the musical as it does not include any gay characters Mm -hmm. But that subtext is there. And as we're both saying, like, the subtext is not there with John Travolta. Apart from this all, I don't know if Scientology, I don't think, has great thoughts on gay people. So, like, that's another, like, ickiness of it all. Mm -hmm. But even just, I just, I just think, like, and also the fact that he is just, like, wearing a fat suit, basically. Mm -hmm. And that some of the humor does come from, here's a person in a fat suit whose movements are not, like, they're not tied to their body, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dancing in here that feels like it's almost supposed to be, like, a comic contrast of, like, how lightly he's leaping around versus what the body shape is. Yeah. In a way that feels inauthentic and, like, honestly, borderline offensive. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, the yeah the body stuff on Travolta, that part of it does feel a little offensive. I, I would agree it with that. It just feels like a show about body positivity should not have one of the plus size characters in a fat suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just the, I it's think like. That's pretty fair. I kind of feel like they either should have, you know, followed the drag tradition that's mm-hmm. key to this or just like cast a woman. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to keep this tradition alive if the tradition is, like you said, it's like they're kind of thoughtlessly doing it for no reason. But 
you don't need to keep that tradition alive if you're actually not keeping it alive. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I think, but I think like, as I, I think what I'm sort of getting at is like from a, from a perspective of a producer who may not be acquainted with that sort of like cultural world at all, like they are keeping mm-hmm. it alive, you know? Right. Like we're That's doing, what they think they're doing. Weinstein was a man, not Weinstein, Jesus, Firestein. Firestein was a man. Travolta's a man. Tradition right. honored. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. 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 I think that's another part of that. Because I think you're right. It's not fat suit aside. It's not like they are trying to make fun of Edna per se. And I think there is a lot of empathy in the portrayal. But I think from a meta sense, it's that 20% missing the mark that I just feel kind of characterizes the movie as a whole. 20% missing the mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. And it's often like, I mean, how often is it that like what feels like a positive representation may 15 years mm-hmm. later be like kind of hard not to just see like all the things that fall short of this. And the, the prosthetics of the face just feel wrong. Mm-hmm. It feels very ghoulish to me. <laughs> it's a little bit of a ghoulish. <laughs> um, I like uh, I like the Bulmer accent, which is uh, one of the. What a choice. One of the, f- the funniest dialects in the country is the Bulmer accent, which he does decently well. I love the R and on. <laughs> yeah, he leans into it very hard, but uh, I I spend a lot of time I've spent a lot of time in my life in Baltimore. I have a lot of family there, and that when you go to Lexington Market and speak with someone who genuinely has the that wonderful Bulmer dialect, it's really <laughs> it's really special. So I liked that uh, little nod to Baltimore, although it vanishes on his songs. But mm. uh, but tricky to do. Do, do I, you sing do like Good Morning? Baltimore when you're in Baltimore. Yeah, every morning. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like the scene of like waking up in yeah. bed. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I you every day. I got my feet go dum dum dum. Do you know who I think is legitimately amazing in this movie? Uh, it's- Queen Latifah. Oh yes, Christopher Walken. I, was gonna I don't know who you're gonna yeah, say. Yeah, Chris. I was gonna say Christopher, Christopher Walken. Walken. I think yeah. they're both wonderful. I, I, like, is this Christopher Walken's best performance? <laughs> no, only because "Catch Me If You Can" is mm. so turn, so turn that, good. Turn that butter into cream. Yeah, he's similar enough. It's it's funny because I just think of I'm like oh this is the catch me if you can it's not really the same at all but um it's it's a great yeah, both 60s Carrie Butler was involved in adaptations it's a great sweet Christopher Walken performance he's just yeah he's like he's simple and just like so kind so yeah all the little his little ad libs and your timeless to me are mm-hmm. so funny yeah yeah there's something he says like oh, what is it right after she like puts him down. She says, like, pour me a teensy weeks to triple, and he goes, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> really cute. It is, like, fully someone doing a Christopher Walken impression, mm-hmm. which I know is what a lot of his performances feel like, but all those little ad-libs especially just really feel. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, like, he just, like, he just goes full, like, sweetheart in this role, and it really works. You know, it's Wilbur's, that, that's, that's doing the right thing with the, with the Wilbur role. I will say the the bed made out of whoopee cushions really got me this time. That's <laughs> very funny. Something about and that when, simple fart joke. <laughs> and when he keeps he keeps sitting on him and he's like, "It's not me, it's not me." And then one goes off and he goes, "Okay, that, that was one was me." me. <laughs> that I, I don't know. I don't I don't laugh out loud at fart jokes that often anymore. But that that one got me. It was a well executed fart joke mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Impressively so. I do also 
love Queen Latifah in this movie mm-hmm. and talk about someone who has been like a plus size fat, you know, icon, which I I use fat in the sense of like it's been a reclaimed word, although I feel strange. I'm also hesitant to just like apply it to someone else if they don't want to reclaim it for themselves. Yes, but like yes. Queen Latifah just like true like trailblazing pioneer. This was something that I found when writing about romantic comedies mm-hmm. and sort of the severe lack of body diversity that exists within mm-hmm. them. But that Queen Latifah really was someone that was, you know, pioneering that in a lot of her rom-com work. And like, I think to see her in this movie, you know, celebrating Big Blonde and Beautiful, like feels so lovely and authentic in a way the the John Travolta, you know, performance doesn't. Yes, you're, ab- you're absolutely right that she she's bringing at least one of the energies that's like missing from his performance just by virtue of his casting and the, you know, yeah. his design and those things. Um, but yeah, she, she brings it. Her energy is awesome. Total great get for a part that could have been, you know, there's like, cause because of where Motormouth Maybell is like just the amount of dialogue she has and what she does, like that part, I feel like can kind of disappear mm-hmm. based on the casting. But yeah, you couldn't do better than Queen Latifah who, yeah, I guess it was like not that. Well, when was Chicago? You you pointed out Chicago. 2001, I think. Oh, wow. Okay, so a lot a lot earlier. But every time she performs in Chicago, every time she sings in Chicago, it's yeah. equally awesome. So good. I would actually genuinely love to do a Queen Latifah yeah. series on our show. I'm such a Queen Latifah. We were a big Queen Latifah household. Yeah. Like we were renting bringing down the house, you know what I mean? Yeah, we were yeah, renting yeah. beauty shop. Oh, yeah. We were supporting the queen. Cool. I think she's great. It really made me laugh when they did Hairspray Live and they cast Jennifer Hudson, who sounds incredible, mm-hmm. but is definitely a very slim person now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they were just like, we'll put her boobs up in a push-up bra and just count on the fact that she used to be bigger and that will just be enough. And it kind of weirdly was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just like, she really, she somehow sold it for me better than the John Travolta did, uh-huh. I think. Yeah, well, Jennifer Hudson, as you say, she does indeed sound quite amazing. So yeah, her her I know where I've been is so good. Jennifer Hudson has the better, just like pure singing voice, mm-hmm. kind of like an unmatched singing voice, really. So I think her vocal performance really takes it and sort of was enough to counteract her <laughs> slimness. Yeah. But I think Queen Latifah has such a great energy for the role. And again, I think like. All the casting's really solid. I've always been a huge Britney Snow fan, mm-hmm. and I feel like she's really great as Amber. She's great. She's great. I was also thought the girl, Colleen Fitzpatrick, who plays her in the 88 non-musical film, I was like, wow, she is so mm. freaking funny in this. There are just really good roles in here, too, I guess. Like, they're yeah. a bit archetypal, but they're so fun. Yeah. It's like, like the character Seaweed, like, there's not that much to him, but he's just like- <sighs> What a great role. His scenes and his song, and in the case of Elijah Kelly, the like raw animal magnetism that mm-hmm. like is going on between Penny and Seaweed. So funny. Such just a like a great, funny portrait of teen horniness. They have great chemistry, like awesome chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do wish, if I'm being really picky, I do wish Amanda Bynes sounded a little better singing, mm-hmm. but I was on a rewatch especially, I was appreciating the the more subtle like humor she was bringing yes it. i do kind of like an over-the-top penny but she's got for the world they're doing she's got she's weird you know she's doing some really good yeah. like facial acting and i think there's a lot of good like facial acting comedy in this movie but i understand you're you're a, you're a penny head you have whole high, you have high standards i have strong 
strong takes. Yeah. But I do like another good penny line to sort of check in on people's deliveries mm-hmm. is, I'm very pleased and scared to be here. <laughs> and I think Amanda really kills that one. Yes. Yeah, she does. Um, And then, okay, I need to just spend, I do want to circle back around to Zach, but I do just need to say. Please. James Marsden, like, I need, I'll link it in the show notes. There's a video of Broadway vocal director Seth Rudetsky just breaking down James Marsden's riffs on the song It's Hairspray. Yeah. The titular song that is like, has made me convinced that there is no better singer alive than James <laughs> Marsden. The the way, like, the riffs, particularly, if you're not going to watch this video, just go back and watch It's Hairspray. Uh-huh. And the way he riffs the last That's Me, the only thing better than Hairspray, That's Me, is, like, it's, like, yeah, it does, like, butter, that's a butter, a vocal me. butter. Yep. I can't do it. Yep. I shouldn't even be trying to. But that's exactly what it is. And it is so good. Mm. It's so good. Vocal butter. <laughs> And the other thing I really f- was thinking on this rewatch too, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was James Marsden or just, there was something this time that hit me about the lyrics of Nicest Kids in Town and how funny it is to take the subtext of this vapid 60s teeny bopper star, but just like put it in lyrics. And make it the actual like words to their theme song. Yeah. It's like, like they're all dumb. Yeah. From a noun, but they're the nicest kids in town is so funny yes yeah. and even the idea of just being like like nice white kids that like to lead the way yeah. like just to explicitly say the subtext out loud yes. is a genius bit of musical theater composition yeah yeah and marston's great a, a great get for that character such good casting who did i see i feel like i saw someone i know lance bass played that on broadway for a bit oh like in the you know when the shows have like run for a while and they're like they try to get yes. some like stunt casting you know in in Hairspray Live, it was Derek Huff, the Dancing with the Stars personality. Mm-hmm. Juliana Huff. It was fun. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Huffs are the Huffs are here. He's no James Marsden vocally, but they obviously had him do a lot of dancing, and that was fun to watch. And after all, no one is. Right. No one is James Marsden. Oh, <laughs> love James Marsden so much. Uh, a little more just Zach background that i found so some adam Schickman originally some background oh that's good we should have a recurring series background background we should you mean like uh, on each of these things we should do a little background yeah yeah time for some zach well, we didn't do a meet meg for zach did we i know you know what we didn't really do one i well may, yeah we can do we can just fold it into this because really what what i came away with from Zach's experience of Hairspray, mm-hmm. is that even more so than the, than the high school musical movies, I think this was like his college. Oh. Because he was just like, you know, a, a teenage kid. He grew up in California, I think just like normal, middle class, slightly strict parents. Mm-hmm. His parents, um, they met at like a power plant. Oh. <laughs> his dad is an electrical engineer and his mom is an administrative assistant. Wow, like Homer. But Cute. What a, yeah, exactly. I was like, what an unusual background so so he had he had like been doing i don't know these these profiles will always on the one hand be like fame just found them randomly but then it's also like he had spent months like driving to all of these auditions all the time Mm -hmm. so they kind of try to have it both ways put yourself in a good position for fame to find you randomly by attending countless auditions that's exactly how it's framed and it's very much like oh my parents never pushed me or cared about the industry and then later it's like my parents heard me sing and said you have to do musicals and like encouraged me to do all this stuff so i'm not quite sure which it is it did seem like he did a lot of 
musicals growing up like that kind of became like you know local theater kind of became his little his little home as it is for so many of us i should say i am just picturing coach bolton and mrs bolton <laughs> i mean I, like his parents i do like, kind of feel like that might be the energy but instead of pushing him into basketball it's like slightly pushing him into yeah. stardom yeah there was some quote i think this was all from a rolling stone profile i found but there was a quote from his former sort of piano teacher and musical theater director who said the first time i met him i said to myself this kid's gonna grow up to be brad pitt he's probably the most charismatic little kid i've ever met <laughs> Just somehow just really yeah. funny to me. We'll see. I mean, so far not out of the not not out of the not beyond the realm of possibility. Yeah. So he had kind of been doing before high school musical, he had been doing like little guest roles on TV shows, like an ER appearance. I think he's like a young performer in an episode of Firefly, like a flashback episode. Oh yeah. Young I Simon. Think... Terrible, yeah. terrible episode. But uh <laughs> he's fine. That was him's early claim to fame. I think he was a he was a recurring character on a WB show called Summerland. So maybe that seemed like it was going to be his thing. But then obviously he gets High School Musical, and that's this breakout role. Bye bye Summerland. Bye bye Summerland. He gets. Yeah, I don't know what happened with Summerland. I don't know if he had to leave. Who can say? There's no way to ever. Summer know. ended. Um, I don't he know. gets cast in Hairspray, and he moves to Toronto to film it for a couple months. And I think that was literally his first time ever living on his own, right? Like, he oh, literally just yeah. an 18-year-old living with his parents. And so a lot of his interviews from this time are like, I'm learning how to get groceries for the first time, like, <laughs> clean an apartment. And there, I think there was a really cute friendship with him and Nikki Blonsky, Aww. and she's talked about like going over to hang out in his apartment in Toronto when they were filming and essentially just doing his laundry for him because he didn't know how to do it or like was too lazy. You know, I'm sure in classic teenage boy fashion was just like dirty clothes everywhere. Yeah. And she was like, okay, Zach, we've got to. Oh, that's sweet. Get your laundry done for you. So I think that this was kind of like a little bit of a formative growing up time. He said, Toronto was where I grew up and it happened quickly. I was self-sufficient in a matter of weeks. This is all a Zach quote. It was great, but then I started clinging to the people I was working with. I would come to set and just observe, even if I wasn't working that day. There's that that inner Tom Cruisiness of him, this like this like workaholic perfectionist starting to sure. starting to manifest. I was also watching behind the scenes clips where in I think nicest kids in town, like James Marsden was kind of struggling to get the exact choreography, and Zach was kind of teaching him. Oh, cute! Which I also found very charming. Just the idea of James Marsden being like. Come here, little nineteen-year-old. Teach me how to do. <laughs> that makes sense. The choreography in this. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, but Zach actually was not. Adam Shankman did not like Zach's original audition. Mm. I think he came in with this big, what Shankman called like this big Disney Channel smile, right? Like mm -hmm. really like selling it in an upbeat way. And Shankman wanted a link to have like that, you know, Elvis edge to him. Yeah. And that Zach was not quite getting that. But then Shankman's sister, Jennifer Gibgott, who is also like his producing partner, she was like, this kid is about to be this generation's Link Larkin. Like, you are an idiot if you do not capitalize on this moment to cast him in this role. She got it. She was, she's she, spot 100%. on. 100%. And he said that she, I guess in previous roles, had like cast Freddie Prince Jr. in Breakout Things, Channing Tatum in Breakout oh, Things. Wow. Like, he was like, okay, she has a knack for this. I will follow her instincts. She's got that star maker nose. She can smell 100%. that. 100%. And so they had, 
Zach come back in and sort of were like, instead of smiling in this way, you know, like arch your eyebrow a little bit and do this, you know, whatever bad boy thing. And then it really worked. So yeah, he had to work for it a little bit. And I do feel like this was a different, like in some ways it's similar to Troy, but I do think there's a little bit, it's a little bit more of a caricature than Troy is. Yes. And you get the sense that he's a little bit more like, I don't know, sort of like complacent and vain, at least at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. He's high school musical too, Troy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you mean like like in the middle where he's really starting to yeah. get. Yeah, he's a little bit of that. But even Troy is so like, oh, I was trying to do the right thing. I didn't even yeah. think about it. Yeah. No, Link needs more mm-hmm. teaching for sure. Yeah. I really like the scene where he meets Tracy in detention. Mm-hmm. And is trying to dance yeah. <laughs> with another girl in there who's black and like clearly is not getting the rhythm of the dance they're supposed to do. And the way he's playing it off, like, didn't quite get it, but I was almost there. Oh, it's too bad we had to stop now because the bell rang. Yeah. Yeah. And her face is also great, her reaction. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like I feel like when I saw the twenty nineteen production, it was just a lot more of those sort of moments of people sort of like side eyeing. They had to mm-hmm. they were trying to work around the material a little bit, being like and the black people know what's up here, you know. Right. But yeah, right. he does a he does a good job with the sort of like uncomfortable cluelessness of that moment. Yeah. There's on stage in the in Without Love when it actually is a duet, there's a moment where Link says, Tracy, I'm in love with you no matter what you weigh. Mm-hmm. And that's another moment where a really funny Tracy can like have a very <laughs> mm-hmm. mixed reaction to that line yeah. in particular in a way that I think lampshades it in a very funny way. Yeah. The other line, this is not a link line, but I saw it in my notes. One one of the producers come in, comes in and he goes, I want the chubby communist girl off the show. <laughs> I wrote that down as well. Whoever that bit player is, he does a really good job with that line. Such a funny delivery. And, I'm, and now I'm like, should that, I kind of want chubby communist girl to just be my Twitter bio. Like, it's such a funny way to describe someone. <laughs> yeah. Describe someone in a way where we're immediately like, hell yeah. Yes, queen. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was when he goes to Tracy's house for his Without Love solo. And he's talking to Edna. And he goes, I can't believe Tracy savagely bludgeoned an Eagle Scout. That's just not like her. <laughs> yeah. And he says it so earnestly. Yeah, he's got not too much to work with. But I think he does. I think he he handles his business well in here, you know. It feels like a real performance, I think. Yeah. Even if it's a smaller one, it feels like it is proving he can do things outside of the Disney bubble. Yeah. And as I I think intimated last time, it gave me and I'm mm-hmm. not that much of a hard ass and not that much of a broy guy, so it it presumably gave a lot of people permission to like Zach Efron for the first time and see him as mm-hmm. not just a I don't know, pretty boy teeny bopper. But like someone who had comedic chops. So I think that, I mean, you know, and now I've watched High School Musical 3 and I'm like, it's the same comedic chops, you know, it's the same <laughs> yeah. performer. I'm a little less benighted about those sorts of things. But um, but yeah, I think at the, time. at the time that was definitely like a key component. Mm-hmm. And I am curious about whether his like ongoing career choices were sort of defined by trying really hard not to just be a teeny bopper because he's certainly like yeah if anybody was still like if anybody was still out there too broy to like zach efron he he definitely could satisfy those people in the in the following years with his his like bro era yeah although i feel like it takes him a little bit to get there he kind of is in the like 17 again charlie st cloud which is a movie i've never seen but somehow like looms large in my mind okay here's a funny story so at a time when i 
before I like had the self control to just be like, I need some time off of Facebook. There was a there was a time when it would be like, oh, if you want a break, like have someone else change your Facebook password. Oh yeah. So that you can't get into your own Facebook. And I had my brother do it so I could, and I spent like a month off, and he changed it to Charlie St. Cloud. And then he told me that after the after the month, and I kept that as my Facebook password for like a decade. Wow! So every time Hopefully I was logging in, it's not in, still or something. No, it's not. Just break into I it. I think it's not still. I don't know. I haven't logged into my own Facebook in so <laughs> right. long. I should log out and log back in and make sure that's not what it is. But uh, but yeah, it was every time I Charlie St. Cloud, and I'd be, Charlie I'd be Cloud. picturing. Have you seen it? No, certainly not. But I know what the poster looks like, and I would picture the poster yeah. every time. Yeah, why is the poster looming so large in both of our minds? I don't know. I mean, it just- That marketing campaign must have been great. It looks like shots that we get. Yeah, you're right. It must have been a strong marketing campaign. And it looks like shots that we do get in others. I mean, it's just like him like lying and looking up at the sky, right? Like there was a moment mm-hmm. when I was watching High School Musical 3, I was like, oh, like Charlie St. Cloud. <laughs> so he's like lying on his bed and talking to Chad or something and making the Charlie St. Cloud face. Yeah, wow, how funny that that, maybe so many people have this, just a mental picture of Charlie St. Cloud, but no one actually saw it. Who knows? I'm Googling and I see him playing baseball, so the dude continuing to just like have to do sports all over the place. Sports. He did some um, Nicholas Sparks movie called The Lucky One. Sounds fun. That I think people might actually like. I feel like I've heard people say that that one's actually weirdly good. It's not a horse movie, is it? No, I think he's like a Marine. Oh, who, and then it's like a romance, you know, and Nicholas Sparks. Oh, Let's see. The premise shocking. is Zac Efron, a U.S. Marine who finds a photograph of a young woman while serving in Iraq, carries it around as a good luck charm, and then later tracks down the woman with whom he begins a relationship. Hmm. You know, one of those movies. <laughs> Natural. <laughs> yeah. I want to say dubious premise, but I think we know by now, like, you know, there are ways that things that sound dubious like that can be good. Not that this necessarily is, but... Uh... I don't know. I really feel like I that movie has its defender. I'll have to check it out and see if it's a secret. Yeah. I know that you will have to check it out and you will not be able to rest until you've actually seen the lucky one and can talk. And Charlie St. Cloud. This will finally be the, the chance to break the seal on Charlie St. Cloud. Yeah, you're going to have to tell me how those are. I don't have the same drive inside. <laughs> Not a Zach completionist. Are there other hairspray moments we want to shout out, good or bad? My compliment at the beginning that the costumes are amazing does reach its limit with what I think are very bad costumes in You Can't Stop the Beat, which is another choice that I truly don't understand how that moment you could go wrong. Mm. They have Tracy in like a black and white. Oh, yeah dress that i feel like has a little bit more is halter top the right word i don't know one of those you just get more shoulder yeah arm it just i don't know i feel like they're trying to dress her like in a in a more like mid-60s look to show how forward thinking she is and she's got straighter hair but Mm -hmm. does not work for me the penny final look is an abomination like i can't it the way she is on stage she comes out in this like great little sparkly tassel purple dress that she can just shimmy in. Mm-hmm. And they put poor Amanda by. Yeah, she can't this, even like, move her legs. She can't even move. Yeah. What were they thinking? I don't think Edna's final look is good. No, that's a bad dress, I think. So strange to me how much they miss the mark on those. Although I do think Zach can really rock a white suit jacket, black suit pant look. The, like dinner jacket. Yeah, he yes. looks great in that. He is the one that looks the best. He looks great through the whole movie. His casual looks, Mm -hmm. his dressed up looks, his like sort of gray blue suit that he's in in the beginning. 
doing his like long leg poses yeah. during nicest kids in town you know they're working he's a good little dancer he is a good little dancer he's such a good dancer i love watching him like and yeah in high because so i watched high school musical three today so i watched what a day you've had hsm3 hairspray 1988 and hairspray 2007 um but yeah zach's a zach's a great dancer He's he he gets the job done in ter- in terms of like singing and uh, singing and dancing. I don't know. Maybe technically he's not like the greatest in the world, but like I don't think he you makes can... it work. Oh, he totally makes it work. I think he yeah. more than handles his business as required in those roles. Do you like the part in the prom number in High School Musical when he comes out in like the powder blue? I was just thinking of that. And he kind of like shakes his kind of does this little it's like kind of like a John Travolta moment. Yes, yeah. He's got the, the sort of gyrating hips there. Yeah, that's a great yeah. number. It's a great number. Such a good Another number. moment where they quote, there's this thing from, I think it's the musical Good News that I know from watching my That's Entertainment DVDs, but the oh. like women at prom, like the women all stand up and the men disappear and then like the men yeah. stand up and the, that's like, that's like quoting this choreography from this old like 40s MGM movie musical. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. But that's not Hairspray, so. No, that's okay. It's all in the same world. These movies were all coming out at the same time. Yeah, that's true. And I can't imagine somebody, I don't know, signing up for this Hairspray episode and being like, stop <laughs> talking about High School Musical 3. That's not what I want to hear about. <gasps> no High School Musical discussion. That would I be do inventing think a guy. I've critiqued Adam Shankman as a director. I do think his choreography is excellent because mm-hmm. he also choreographed as well. I think a lot of it is quoting Jerry Mitchell's work from the Broadway run, but like I think he adapts it for the screen beautifully and like the dancing is consistently great in Hairspray. Yeah. I think that I was like, I think when I... What I was trying to get at earlier, I think, is this, that, like, the movie making is not inhibiting the dancing or getting in its mm-hmm. way. And I was thinking, like, I don't know, Run Until That, like, progresses from, like, a classroom to, a like, a bus stop outside and then they get onto a bus. And it just, like, I don't know, I feel like it moves in a way where sometimes you see movie musicals where it's just, like, they're dancing in a proscenium stage-shaped space and then it cuts mm-hmm. to a completely different proscenium stage shaped space and now they're just dancing there and this this gets to move a little bit but i will be clear it is no kenny ortega (laughs) but i do think run until that is the best blend of choreography and cinematography Mm -hmm. i think if the whole movie had been like that well that was that was when i took the note so maybe i wasn't looking far (laughs) enough ahead into the past and past and future oh i also like in the new girl in town when they cut from the little Amber and her little trio of, you know, prim and proper white girls to the the black trio that we later learn have actually written the song. Mm-hmm. And that's a very funny juxtaposition. Yeah. Of the yeah. two different energies of what the Corny Collins show can be. Yeah. Reminds me of uh reminds me of a Sharpay Evans taking on uh doing her like take on a on a previous oh, yeah. existing. Yeah, you're right. Her bop to the top. Yeah. Just appropriating. Again, High School Musical and Hairspray share an element of Zach being in these romances that are breaking boundaries in Mm -hmm. some ways. You know what I mean? There is a little bit of a social change undercurrent. Even if in High School Musical, it's like, you must respect the nerds. Mm -hmm. And here it's a little more, it's a little uh, deeper in its themes. But I think that that energy of like, dumb, hot guy who ultimately will be good is appealing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like his, his, if he's got this thing of being like, 
I am the hot white man who could date anyone I want, but I am attracted to this person, and so yeah. I will I will vomit social change through my attraction. Yeah, it's a good little niche he found. I quite like the moment where Link is the one that brings little Inez on to dance. Mm-hmm. Yes, it kind of answers the thing of like, we need some sort of recompense for the fact that he refuses to participate in the protest. He needs to like put his own ass on the line. And that's a nice like in musical number way of doing that. Yeah. And that's another little change from the stage show. It's just kind of like they all show up at once. There's mm-hmm. not so much of that one pivotal moment. And I do think it's nice to give it to Link and to, yeah, have him come out, dance with her, and then actually step aside so she can dance on her own. Mm-hmm. It's quite a nice little bit of imagery. Yeah, indeed. Sweet Zach, saving us all from our social woes at a mere nineteen years yeah, old. One step at a time, Zach. Baby steps. What does he? What does? What does Maybell say? It's like you gotta get a foot in the door, like one toe at a time, or something. I don't know. I'm just thinking of the Music Man. I got my foot caught in the door. You know that line? Oh yeah, I do. I could go long on the Music Man, but let's not today. <laughs> Ooh, Zach is Music okay. Man. Damn, would that be cool? He could follow in Hugh Jackman's steps, yeah. a greatest showman baton oh. baton switch. He's probably got to be a little older for Music Man, right? No, I think Hugh is just way too old for Music Man. Yeah, maybe that's it. There's nothing about the there's nothing about Harold Hill that says he can't be thirty years old. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I like the way your brain's thinking, Ned. Well, I'm a. I got a lot of thoughts on Music Man, so someday <laughs> I'll get to share them. I hope in the in the way that I um our previous guest Zoe Malpi is going to win Zach an Oscar. I would now like you to win Zach a Tony for a production of the Music Man. Oh, it would be, it would be my pleasure. But IRL, I think if I were to cast a Music Man, I would cast a person of color as Harold Hill because there's some things mm. I want to say with that. But uh, I don't know if it's potentially a more interesting choice than just. But if Zach. if the producers forced Zach on me, I wouldn't be sad. <laughs> Get Zach on the line. Well, that's kind of it for this like teeny bopper phase of Zach's career as we were kind of going through. He's sort of in the like coming of age slash rom-com space for a while. Mm-hmm. We may or may not check in on some of those movies, but but next week we're going to jump ahead a bit and sort of look at the next like big defining shift in his sort of on-screen persona, I would say, which is his turn as the delightfully aggro and in some ways secretly sweet frat house president. Mm. In 2014's Neighbors, we'll probably also be checking out Neighbors 2, which I have not seen, although I have seen the first one. Have you seen either of these before? Neither, no. New watches. I'm excited. I feel like this will be a very different Zach than the one we've been living with in these four delightful movie musicals. Indeed, indeed. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to see what I make of them. (laughs) Excited to go from wholesome musical world to aggressive fraternity world oh well i feel like you really straddled both of those worlds in college so maybe Me? you can provide perspectives on both yeah. yeah i think that my fraternity experience probably had relatively limited overlap with what we're going to see dramatized in neighbors but uh i could be wrong so you went to the high school musical worlds fraternity yeah well i'll save all my fraternity stories for <laughs> for next week i'll see what i can dig up out of the old brain what a tease Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wonserski. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. We are at Roll Calling, or you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll spelled R-O-L-E. We'll be back in two weeks with Neighbors. 
Until then. Once I was a selfish fool who never understood. Never looked inside myself. The one on the outside, I looked good. That was so cute. I loved that. <laughs> Thank you. I got shy doing it. What a wholesome ending. Oh, I got really warm just singing that. I got nervous, wow, but uh, I enjoyed oh, it. Thanks, buddy.